And we now will turn together to the book of Luke. Specifically to the end of the first chapter. We'll be finishing chapter 1 of Luke this morning. Concluding the the birth narrative of John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. With another one of the ancient Christmas season hymns. This morning, this song of Zechariah is called the Benedictus. So now, if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning, Lord, that You would teach us from Your Word, that You would teach us to follow after You, that You would teach us to understand our need for You, that You would teach us our need for grace. Lord, we ask that You would bless us and encourage us by means of Your Word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the day had finally come. There had been a great flurry of activity in the household of Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was the anticipation of this day. There was the preparation. There was all of the ordinary course of life. For you see, while there was a flurry of activity, there was also patience that was needed. I imagine that after the awe and the wonder of the announcement that they were going to have a child, there was morning sickness. There was tiredness. There were aches and pains. And of course, there were month upon month upon month in which Zechariah wished to speak, but could not wanted to tell his wife of all of the things that he had learned, but could not. Wanted to praise the Lord for the gift of the child that was imminent, but he could not. So now this morning we come to that faithful day when John will be born. It is an event that is well known in the community. They are anticipating it and waiting for it. But in reality, as we think on this day, it is a day not to just anticipate the birth of a miraculous child, not just to anticipate the birth of John, the famous one. But it is a day to anticipate and remember the work of a blessed God. A God who intervenes in the lives of His people. A God who gives. A God who keeps and a God who saves. This is the Lord God that John and Zechariah and Elizabeth served. And it is also the God that we serve. When we serve this kind of God and we know who He is and we understand from His Word all that He has done for us, we cannot help but break forth in praise and like Zechariah, bless the Lord. But before Zechariah can speak, He sees and understands finally the gift that comes from God. You can imagine what the day would be like. Elizabeth says, I think this is the day. It just, it feels like it. Quick, quick. Call the neighbors. Get some help over here. You can imagine Zechariah perhaps wandering around the house, not able to call anyone trying to find water to boil, trying to find sheets to rip, trying to find something to do. And the neighbors would come in and they would push him off to the side. We'll take care of this. You go sit over there and and, and be quiet. 
You can imagine him sitting in anticipation, waiting and waiting, listening for that cry of life, that cry that would not only say that a child had been born, but that God had kept His promise, that the forerunner was here, and that meant that the Messiah was on the way. You can imagine the thoughts running through Zechariah and Elizabeth's minds as they recall the days they spent with Mary, dwelling on the promise of God with her and thinking in just a few months, one greater than our son will be born. Can you imagine it? And the baby was born and the cry was heard. And the neighbors were rejoicing. This was an incredible event and they understood God had worked this so they could not help but see the hand of God. When a senior citizen gives birth, you cannot help but know that God is at work. And so they rejoiced. And they rejoiced, Luke tells us in verse 58, specifically at what the Lord had done, that He had shown great mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And His language is very vivid He says that the neighbors actually magnified the mercy of God. They had made it as great as could be. They told one another stories about this. And then the next step was to come. Eight days had passed since the birth. And according to the law of God, John was to be circumcised. And this, of course, also would be a great ceremony with pomp and circumstance, a great opportunity to relive and recount the covenant promises of God. The child was to become right now a member of the covenant community. His parents would rejoice. And the people would bring him forward. And justice had been done for generation upon generation upon generation. The faithfulness of God seen from the days of Abraham. The sign of the covenant was placed upon the young baby. And as the baby wailed and spoke forth that he was alive and a part of the covenant, the neighbors said, well, what should we name this child? Of course, his name will be Zechariah Jr., Right? And he looks at Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, No. Just as emphatically. And they look at her. Now you have to understand, this is not Elizabeth meek and mild. She says, No. No way. No. His name shall be called John. And then the neighbors do what all good neighbors do. They say, well, obviously you're suffering from some pain. We understand you're not with it here. You maybe are forgetting where you are. Let's go get Zechariah. And so they get Zechariah and they begin to make sign language to him. It's from this text that we see that Zechariah was not only speechless, but he was very likely deaf as well. And they begin to make signs to him. And they say, what should we name this child? We think it should be Zechariah Jr., but if you want him named after your father or your uncle, let us know. How will your family name go on? Now, you have to understand, they don't really have last names in the Old Testament. For a name to live on, you 
used a family name. This was important. And you can imagine, especially one who had thought he would never have a child, would never have an heir. You could imagine if anybody is going to name their kid Junior, it's Zechariah. And Zechariah says, this is too much here for me to sign language you. Bring me something to write on. And they bring him something to write on, and he writes in big, bold letters. John, his name is. You can imagine their wonder. Why John? And why are they so emphatic? Why do they resist our attempts to to do the right thing? There's been a lot of persistence here by the neighbors. Flashback, though, to the story of Gabriel and the angel. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to verse 20 of the first chapter. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Once again, I want you to put aside everything you think you know about the Christmas story and ask yourself this question today. Why can't Zechariah talk? John has been born. Eight days have gone by. The prophecy has been fulfilled. As a matter of fact, Luke begins this section in verse 57 with, the time was fulfilled. Why can Zechariah not speak? Well, he says his name is John. And verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. What's in the name? Why is this so important? Why couldn't Zechariah speak before this? It's the name that makes the change. And the reason the name makes the change here is because God is waiting until Zechariah acts on his faith. It was not enough just for the baby to be born. The promise was that this would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And the sign of that would be that his name would be John. And when Zechariah gets that tablet and he writes out in the capital letters, John, he is saying, I believe God. I doubt no more. God has come. The end of days is here. Salvation is on its way. For if John is here and he's really here and I can see him and I can touch him and I can hear him, then the Messiah is on His way. You see, this has all been God's work from beginning to end. Who gave the promise? It was God, wasn't it? Who gave the sign of the promise, the silence of Zechariah? It was God, wasn't it? Who gave the child? It was God, wasn't it? But you see, God works in our lives and God brings Zechariah to the point of his own life where he must trust the promise. God has so worked his circumstances that Zechariah's faith has an arena to be displayed in. 
That's what God does for you as well. You see, God uses our circumstances to show us our need for a Savior. It might have been that flat tire that you got when you shouldn't have. It might have been that neighbor that spoke a kind word to you and shared a Bible verse. It might have been that book that you read. It might have been that illness that you had. It might have been that sad circumstance that came into your life and you wondered, why is this happening to me? Is life a bunch of random happenings? And you have to know that everything that happens to you is a circumstance that a holy, omnipotent, omniscient God knows and brings about in your life that you might have faith. And He knows He knows if you will have faith because He is the one who is the giver of it. You see, we cannot believe but that God gives us a new heart. And with that new heart, we are to trust upon the work that God has done, not just in the promises, but in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is calling you today to look at your circumstances to use them as an opportunity to trust Him, to believe in Him, to have your life changed by Him. And you see, this is what happens to Zechariah. He begins now to speak, and you can imagine nine months of having it pent up. He's probably speaking a mile a minute, and he breaks out actually even into song, and This message that he has kept inside for so many months, nine months, now begins to spread throughout all of Judea. Because you see, when we have faith and we trust the Lord, it is not merely something private. You see, that's what the world wants you to believe. That you can do what you want to do as long as you do it somewhere in a closet or a small room. But you see, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith expresses all that God has done for me and the joy that that brings me. And so what happens is, fear comes on all of the neighbors. The kind of awe that comes from knowing that God is at work here. A supernatural thing is happening. And they do what you would expect they do. They begin talking about it everywhere. And they begin wondering... What will God do next? Now you see, they're at a disadvantage from you and from me. We know the end of the story. We know what God is doing next. It's set for the next chapter. But you see, for them, they're focused on John and wondering, what will this child be? God has obviously done something miraculous. And they begin to understand that God gives what He promises. We also see here, though, that God is a God who keeps His promises. He keeps His Word specifically. And Zechariah teaches us this in verses 67 and 68. Zechariah then begins to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins then to prophesy. And so, we have here an instance of the Scripture telling us that Zechariah is speaking Scripture. He's speaking what God has put in his heart. And his very first phrase, the very first thing that he says, 
is blessed be the Lord God. Now again, think of that in the context of your own circumstance. Have you ever had one of those stomach bugs where you couldn't keep any food down? Couldn't eat anything for days? Even the smell of food isn't good to you? And then that glorious day comes when you recover. And you think to yourself, the very first thing I am going to do is get a steak as big as my head. And I am going to enjoy what I have not been able to enjoy for so long. Or maybe you have a tower of chocolate cake ready for you. You've been thinking about this for days and now you finally are ready to have it. Now, can you imagine Zechariah? For nine months he's wanted to speak. He can't say a word. His son has just been born. All of the things that would race through his mind. He's so beautiful. Oh dear, I'm so proud of you. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Now we have an heir. Oh, his name is John. All of these things he could say. But not a word of this escapes his lips. The very first thing he says after nine months of silence is, Blessed be my God, who has brought all of this to pass. You see, he has learned a lesson in his suffering. He has been unable to speak, and now that he can speak, he has learned the lesson that God is first, that God is the one who promises, that God is the one who keeps His promises, that the Lord God is the one who blesses us. And he begins to recount how marvelous God is. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Now this word for visited is a little bit underwhelming. That's because when we think of a visit, we think of people popping over for a cup of coffee. But you see, here in the Bible, this word for visited carries out with it the connotation of being cared for. Of God coming down to be with His people. To protect them. To care for them. To redeem them. It's the same thing that was said so long ago that Zechariah would have known by heart in Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you. It's the same thing that Moses said. And that the people believed that God had visited them because He had kept His covenant in Exodus chapter 4. And you see, Zechariah knows that God is keeping all of the promises that He has made from Joseph to Moses to David to Solomon to Isaiah and now here to Him. This is not a random act. This is not just a great thing. This is God keeping all of His covenant promises from the beginning of days. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. That God will redeem for Himself a people. And God knows how to do this because He is the one who is at work Zechariah tells us that He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, you have to understand here that by horn they mean a large horn on an animal. And I want you to picture what that is like. 
Picture, say, something like a rhinoceros. You don't look at a rhinoceros and say, oh, what a cute and cuddly horn. Do you? Oh, isn't that adorable? It's all sharp and pointy. No. But oftentimes, isn't that how we view the Lord Jesus this time of year? Oh, what an adorable little baby. Well, that may be true. But God is raising up a Messiah of power and might. One commentator puts it this way, and I love it. He says, the horn is the business end of an animal. And here we have the business end of God's salvation is Jesus. He will affect it. He will make it so. God is raising up a horn of salvation. And it comes from the family of David. And so we see here that Zechariah is making very clear, I'm not talking about my family. I'm not talking about the miracle baby. He's from the tribe of Levi. I'm talking about the one who is to come. That God will raise him up. He will put a king on the throne of his father David. Even as he spoke in verse 70, by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, as he spoke in verse 73, that oath that came to Abraham, the oath that God swore to grant to the people of God that they would be delivered. You see, these are promises that God has made year after year after year. Do you believe those promises today? Abraham was an awfully long time ago, wasn't he? John was an awfully long time ago, wasn't he? It's still the same promise. And God is the same God who keeps it. You see, this promise is not just for Zechariah. It's not just for his family. He ties it into the covenant promise of Abraham that this is a promise for the whole world. You are the recipients of this promise if by faith you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to be born of Zechariah. You don't need even to be born of Abraham. It is a promise that comes to all who believe. And God keeps His people and protects them. You see, He does this to deliver us from the hand of our enemies. He brings deliverance when we think that there is none. And when He does this, all fear is banished. Now is a time of year in which we should be reminded that we do not need to be afraid because God is at work on the move. He is going to change us and He is going to make us, as Zechariah says, a people who would serve Him in holiness and righteousness. It is a real change that takes place in us. It is a permanent change in all our days. And it is a change that brings us into closer relationship with Him. This is the God who keeps His covenant promises. And then Zechariah's song shifts. He's spoken of the greatness of our Lord. And then he begins, it seems, to speak then or to sing then of John in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. But you see here, the emphasis is not really upon John. It's upon John's actions in what God will do now. You see, Zechariah has been talking about the greatness of God in the past and how He kept all of His promises. And now what He says to you and to me is, God is not just some heirloom. He's not something you put on a shelf and say, oh, isn't it wonderful what God did in Bible times? I wish maybe He could do something like that now. No. You see, now Zechariah is going to tell us that God is at work even now. That He is the one who forgives sins. That He is the one that brings about salvation. He says, John, your purpose is going to be to go and to give the knowledge of salvation to all of His people. You must go and spread the news. You must prepare the way. John here is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is to speak of the salvation that God is to bring. What is salvation? Do you think about that? You so... You see, for many of us, or for some of us, we're looking for a material solution. We're looking for a way to just make it through another day, have food to eat, things we want, a house to live in. We're looking for God to provide us things. For others, perhaps even as in John's day, we want a political solution. Now, we can read the Bible and say, well, they missed who Jesus was. He wasn't a king riding on a charger. He was a baby coming in a manger. And then we turn around and we say, you know, if only God would help Congress pass some good laws. If only God would turn our country around. If only God would take our people and fix our government and society. But you see, that's not the kind of salvation that God is bringing. Others want simply freedom, perhaps even religious freedom, to say what they want and do what they want and not to be held for ridicule or persecuted. But that's not the salvation that God is bringing either. You see, when we think about salvation, so often we want a solution to the external world around us. That's what needs saving. But in reality, our real need is what John came to tell us. Our real need is not external, it is internal. Our real need is to know that we are sinners. Do you understand that? Deep down in your soul, do you know that as bad as you think you are, you are far, far worse? Do you know that if the person sitting next to you knew your thoughts and knew your actions in their totality, they would move down two seats? Do you know that if you knew me, you would stop listening and leave? You see, we have to understand how bad we are, how sin has gripped us, if we are to understand how great a salvation has come in Jesus. 
Jesus did not come to give us better government. Jesus did not come to give us better stuff. Jesus did not come to give us freedom from persecution. Jesus came to give us freedom from sin. To change us that we would never be the same again. That we would be made in His glorious image and that we would worship a living triune God for all eternity. That is the salvation that comes and that is what John will announce. That is our real need. And you see, this comes from the heart of God. Zechariah tells us this. This salvation comes, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. It's a wonderful turn of phrase. Luke takes this language, Zechariah takes this language of mercy and he ups it one notch. He doesn't just talk about mercy. He uses a word for overflowing gut feelings, gushing out of the heart, we might say. He says, gushing out of the heart of God is His mercy for His people. And this is why He has sent the Savior. Do you understand that part of salvation? That salvation is not just a transaction. Salvation is not just a doctrine. Salvation is the heart of God overflowing with love for His people that He would send His Son to die on a cross that you might live. This is salvation. This is who God is. He is the faithful one. He is the compassionate one. And He brings also not only forgiveness, but He brings you light. Have you ever been in the dark? You see, we think of sin as kind of pollution, but it is also darkness that surrounds us. Imagine pilgrims in the days of Zechariah. And they're traveling in the days far before flashlights and lanterns. They're traveling on a journey, a pilgrimage, and they can't have candles. And the sky is dark. And they're traveling. And they're tired. And they're fearful. And they're lost. Do you feel like that sometimes? Like you don't know how you're going to make it to next week? Like you don't know where the solution is? Now imagine those pilgrims as they walk through the barrenness of their family, the night of their marriage, the difficulty of their job, and off in the horizon, the sun breaks forth. Just a peak, just above that horizon, The day star, the Bible says. The sunrise begins to arise. And then what happens to those pilgrims? They who were not even moving. Do you see, Zechariah says, they were sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death. They were completely without hope. And now they see the sun begin to rise and they know there is hope again. And they know there is purpose. And they know that they are going to be alright. For they know the sun will not stop at a sliver. It will come and blaze in full day. That is what the Lord God brings for you. Jesus Christ has come. The day star is here and the dawn has arisen in your heart. 
Do you follow the light? Do you see it? Does it give you hope? Are you on that journey, on the path, knowing that you have forgiveness of sins? You see, this is the great glory of knowing God. Zechariah could not help but break out in song. He praised the Lord God who kept His promises, every single one of them. And he spoke and sang of a great day that was to come when forgiveness of sins would be known, when forgiveness of sins would be realized forever. How much more should we break out in praise? We do not anticipate these things, do we? We look back and we know they are true. This is what the coming of Jesus means. It means that God gives. It means that God keeps every one of His promises. And it means that God is the Savior, the forgiver of sins, the provider of light and of life. Your hope in a dark world. Not just a dark world out there, but a dark world in here. Your hope is Jesus. Let's pray.